Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. This is Katie. I'm your host, and I'm here today with Marcus. Hey, guys. How's it going? And we have an exciting new topic for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the gut again, one of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are going to talk a little bit about probiotics today. So I think this is probably something that a lot of people have wondered about just with quality and knowing which one to get. Should I get one in the fridge? Should I get a brand name? Should I get a generic? Mm-hmm. And we're here to give you the most up-to-date information that we could conjure up on this topic. Yeah. So I guess to start out, we'll talk a little bit about a few definitions. Okay. I will start out with prebiotics. And we talked a lot about prebiotics in our fiber episode because prebiotics are actually just fiber. So they're the non-digestible food that helps you to feed your microbiome, which are all the bugs in your gut. And remember that your microbiome is not just bacteria. It's also fungi, archaea, lots of different things um, that live in your colon. So the prebiotic fibers are what feed them. So you can get them from lots of different plant sources. Also remember that each plant source has different kinds of fiber. So this is something that I've been learning a little bit about lately. Um, It's something I've learned since we've done our fiber episode, so I'll just talk about it briefly. But each plant is not created with the same fiber. Each plant brings its own type of fiber. And each plant also kind of has its own little mini microbiome. So if you eat an apple, your gut will respond differently to it than if you eat a banana or if you eat a peach. So you want to increase the diversity of what you're eating um, and eat lots of different plants because then that will bring all different kinds of fiber into your gut and then that will feed different bugs. And remember, we want a diversity in our microbiome to promote health and longevity. So diverse diet leads to diverse fiber, leads to diverse microbiome. Um, And then if you're looking at the two most common types of fiber that we think about would be um, soluble and insoluble. Those are not the only two, but those are the two most common. So the soluble fiber is actually what is prebiotic. So that is what um, gathers water and then ferments when it makes it down into your colon. And then that's what feeds your microbiome. And then um, just to kind of piggyback on the diverse diet, um, this is not a knock on Skittles. But this is just like the way I remember to eat diverse is you eat the rainbow every day. So for all different colors and that gives you plenty of different types of fibers and phytonutrients and makes it a little bit more simple than if you think you have to eat like red cabbage and kale and tomatoes and bananas. It just can get a little bit complex. But going into what um, probiotics are, like we said, they're the live microorganisms that promote the growth and development of the beneficial bacteria that make up your gut flora. So what the probiotics do besides just break down food, they help extract nutrients, they help fight off the bad bacteria, they support the structure of the lining of your stomach so they can help treat what's called like leaky gut syndrome, which is where the tight junctions in your stomach, like we talked about before, kind of get opened up and then they let the content from your gut kind of leak out into the rest of your body, which is not ever a good thing. No. And I did a little poll on Instagram a few weeks ago about glyphosate um, because glyphosate is the devil. And 
David Craig, if you're listening to this, I know that you are probably rolling your eyes right now. So, but I am on board with glyphosate being the devil. It is a, it's an herbicide. Roundup. Round, that isn't Roundup. And the problem with glyphosate is it promotes the degeneration of the microbiome that we need to create amino acids. So we have essential amino acids that we need to get from our diet, and they're built through these microbiome, this microbiome that we get from our food. And then those amino acids are what create the lining of our gut. So if we are having a lot of glyphosate in our diet, which you get from eating a non-organic mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables, because and especially GMO fruits and vegetables because they're sprayed with glyphosate, um, then that promotes leaky gut. So the moral of the story and the long of the short is if you, when you can, choose organic fruits and vegetables, if that doesn't fit well in your budget, then look at the Dirty Dozen. So the Dirty Dozen, um, you can find them on my Instagram page on Health Formation. It's also made by the Environmental Working Group or EWG, so you can look on their website. And those explain the top 12 most sprayed chemicals or most sprayed um, fruits and vegetables. So they have the most glyphosate and other chemicals on them. So you'll find things on there like spinach, strawberries, kale. And it's actually really interesting when you read about it because it will tell you what um, different chemicals are on there and then what those things have been linked to. So like, for example, spinach, um, the chemicals that were found on the spinach that was tested by the EWG is actually a known neurotoxin in humans. So spinach is a huge one that you should always buy organic. And really thinking about like if you forget to check your list and you're at the grocery store, think about the things that don't have a skin on them that you're going to be eating and that are more like thin, like so spinach, strawberries, um, kale that you are go- you're going to eat the whole thing. If it has a skin on it, it's a little bit more protected. Now, of course, the GMO is going to be in the inside of the plant as well. But as a general rule, like an onion or an orange avocado, those are ones that it's okay to purchase conventional because they're not, um, the spray doesn't get on there as much. And if when you do get your fruits and vegetables home, another side note, linking back to leaky gut, make sure you wash them in a bath of baking soda and water. Let them sit for 15 minutes and then rinse them off well and dry them before you store them. So that way they're ready to go and that will get any of the pesticides off the skin of the produce as well. I did not know the baking soda. Yes, baking soda. I always just wash it with water. So washing it with water is better than doing nothing, but not as good as using baking soda. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So that was my uh, little soap soapbox that I got on oh, for like a second it. there. Thank yeah, you. That's good. And then um, the last category we'll talk about is postbiotics. We'll just kind of touch on it right here and then go more in depth later. But basically, it's like some of the short chain fatty acids, like butyrate, that your body produces once it breaks down the probiotic. Correct. Yes. All right. So let's go into a little bit more of what probiotics are and what they do. So do you want to start out by talking about the immune system? Yeah. So like the enteric system, which is basically like from your mouth through your gut and out the back is, is like the gateway from the outside to the inside. So if you think about your microbiome is the defense mechanism for pathogens that could potentially come through your food and water or just breathing in air. So it makes up 
approximately 70% of the immune system. There's something called the gut-associated lymphoid tissues. In, GALT. Yeah, GALT, which is where you have like a store of immune cells in your gut. So when you hear that 70% of your immune system is in your GI tract, it's because of the GALT. So that's what stores your T cells and your B cells. And so you want to have a um, diverse microbiome because it helps to let your GALT or your immune system know what this is bad. These are the bad guys and these are the good guys. When that gets confused, that's when we start to see an increase in autoimmune diseases. And if you sit here for 10 seconds and think about if you know someone with an autoimmune disease, you probably do. Um, so that would be like very common, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, type 1 diabetes, Hashimoto's, uh, Hashimoto's, psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto, or any thyroid disorder. Oh, oh yeah, I was going to say um, something that was wrong. Alopecia. Yes, alopecia. Uh, and then type 1 diabetes are like the most common ones that people know. So, yes, yeah, so that's why it's important to ensure that our body isn't getting confused between this is what's good and this is what's um, pathogenic because that's when we can start to see autoimmune diseases. Let's talk about the different sources of where we can get probiotics from. Obviously, we already I already mentioned that you can get probiotics by eating a diverse diet um, because they come with your fruits and veggies. But another way you can get it is through eating fermented foods. Mm-hmm. Kombucha in the health and wellness world is all the rage right now. Um, so that is one place where we do get lots of probiotics because it's a fermented food. Um, but just be careful with kombucha for a few things. Um, lots of added sugar in the kombucha, and also it's acidic, so it can be harmful um, to your teeth. So just try to not drink too much of it. Um, around four ounces per day should be good. And then you also can mix it with water. So if you are doing four ounces, you can mix that with four ounces of water um, to cut back on the acidity a little bit. Kombucha is kind of like, so it's carbonated. And it kind of has like the same texture or feeling as if you would drink like a sparkling water or a soda or something like that. And it does, since it's uh, fermented, it does have a little bit of like naturally occurring alcohol in it. So if you're sensitive to alcohol or pregnant pregnant, or if you're taking uh, like metronidazole or something like that, you're going to want to stay away from that because there can be some reactions. And then some other probiotic foods are... Yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, uh, and then there's, what is it, kimchi? Kimchi. Kimchi, that's the other, uh, (laughs) like, fermented cabbage. And when you get those, like sauerkraut and kimchi, you want to make sure they're raw and unpasteurized because if they're shelf-stable, they usually pasteurize them, which means they heat kill it, and that kills off all of the probiotics, and then um, there's really no benefit. And then with yogurt... You want to watch out for added sugar because that kind of takes away all the benefit if you're having a probiotic and that's supporting your gut flora. And then you have added sugar that kind of promotes the growth of fungi and counteracts each other. Another really good one is miso. So miso, Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's so good. So you can get miso at the grocery store in the same section as the tofu usually. And it is a paste and it's fermented and you can add it into if you're if you like to cook Asian food, mm-hmm. um, you can add it in to a lot of dips and or like dressings. 
Um, with miso, you want to try to add it in, if you're going to make like a stir fry and add it in, um, add it at the end because if you heat it up, it can kill off some of those pathogens that you have in there that you are beneficial when you eat miso. And I have a really good recipe. Um, if you check out the Instagram again, I know I keep mentioning it today, um, but if you check it out, there is a really good recipe for these noodle balls that I make. And the dressing on it is a garlic miso, and it's I'm obsessed with it. It's really good. Um, so that's a good option as well for you to eat miso. And then also another way that you can make the sauce without heating it up is if you have a blender or a yeah. food processor or something, you can just add like miso, garlic powder. Or just garlic. Tahini or just garlic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then avocado. And then I saw a guy use dates mm-hmm. to sweeten it. To sweeten it. it. But yeah, there's a ton of different recipes on how to make your own sauces. And they're way better than the commercial like packaged sauces because they don't contain all of those nasty oils and the added sugar and all that stuff that doesn't really do anything positive. And if you're getting a more natural sauce, those do exist now and are more common. But the more natural ones are going to be super expensive. So it's cheaper to make your own. So win-win. And another thing about miso, we're really talking it up right now, but (laughs) um, is that if you're trying to watch your sodium intake, miso adds like a good salt Mm -hmm. without, it doesn't have a lot of sodium. So, but you still get that salty, like satisfaction when you need it and then here's we'll kind of tie in back to the prebiotic food but it also goes along with the if you want to get like the taste advantage of something but don't want to add something so for sugar um instead of adding sugar to something add a little bit of cinnamon Mm. and that gives it it's not going to be as sweet as if you add table sugar but it gives it a little bit of that um like more sweet taste and then chicory root which is used in a lot of supplements has like a coffee flavor to it so if you like the coffee flavor and you want to add it to whatever you want to taste like coffee you can just add chicory root and that hits kind of two birds with one stone so cinnamon is good for blood sugar stabilization so that's good and then chicory root is a prebiotic fiber Mm -hmm. so if you are worried that you're not getting enough prebiotic fiber you can add chicory root to your smoothie as well um and then the other thing i was going to say since we have been on this tangent for a little while, yeah. we'll continue down it. For sauerkraut, so sauerkraut's really good because obviously it is a fermented food and it's a probiotic, but also sauerkraut is cabbage. So you're also getting the uh-huh. prebiotic and the fiber. And what's important if you are eating a fermented food, so it's on, you know, you're getting that fermented food in the in whatever you're consuming, but the, then you want those bacteria to take up residence in your gut and be able to grow and multiply. So to be able to do that, they have to have a healthy environment and they have to have food. So that's the fiber. So if you're eating sauerkraut, you're getting both all in one. Um, and if you have ever listened to anything by Dr. Zach Bush, he loves talking about a cabbage and how you can make your own sauerkraut. Um, and that kind of can connect you back to the earth. So that's an option as well. Yeah. And I haven't made it yet. I Neither want have to. I. Um, but from everything I've seen, it's pretty easy. So easy. And then you can use regular cabbage or red cabbage. I Mm -hmm. saw a recipe for that the other day. And then one other probiotic containing food that we didn't mention is pickles, but not all pickles are fermented. You have to get like the specific pickles that say that they're fermented. The ones in the refrigerator. And they're in the refrigerator. Those taste like a million times better anyways. Yeah. So those are um, also another option as well. 
So when we think about different probiotic supplements, I would like to quote Dr. B or Dr. Will Bolsowitz on this one, and he says that the hype greatly outweighs the science in this field. So what that basically means is that people are obsessed with taking probiotic supplements, and we don't really have very good science to back that they are actually going to work to help to recolonize your gut, especially in a healthy population. So we looked at one um, review that looked at 45 studies on healthy people, and basically what they said is that we, it may have an effect or a benefit on promoting a healthy gut. And they also looked in um, women of reproductive age and they looked at their vaginal microbiome as well, may have a benefit, but they can't really recommend a specific formulation or a specific product. And they just need, more, we need to do more research to be able to recommend that. So to me, that kind of means we don't really know. <laughs> um, and I read another study that, took two specific strains. I can't remember which two they were, but they found that there was a a slight correlation with the probiotic supplementation and an improved gut flora, but the study was like not well conducted. And even they in the study said that the evidence wasn't uh, very clear or very supportive. So again, we're in the same boat of like not really knowing. And that was in healthy people? Yeah, healthy people. So there is some data to support probiotic supplementation in people with IBS. Mm -hmm. And so if you have Crohn's or UC, there are specific probiotic strains that are good for people with those autoimmune conditions. So that would be maybe a good option if you did have one of those to get a probiotic. But definitely talk to your gastroenterologist first Mm -hmm. and figure out which strain that is going to be the best to support your gut. Um, Because... Don't just get a random one because there's so many different ones out there. Mm. And even with, like, you can find a genus and a species, which is like Lactobacillus is the genus, and then Acidophilus is the species, and then LA14 is the strain. And there's hundreds of different strains for each genus and species. So if you just go pick out, like, your general Lactobacillus acidophilus it'll say like l period acidophilus on the label um you don't know what strain you're getting so you don't know what kind of benefit you're going to get from it and then if you take it and it works for a while and you get a different brand but it's the same genus and species it might not work because it might not be the same strain so it's just a lot there's a lot more that goes into it than just picking out a name you have to know um the strain and and everything that goes into it And so you want to look and also make sure the strain is on the label when Mm -hmm. you're trying to read to pick one out, um, because that will indicate that it is like a little bit more of a higher quality product if they include the specific strain on there as well. Yeah. And then I found the American Gastroenterology Association guidelines, and they had low evidence for the use of specific strains as an adjunct to antibiotic therapy in C. diff infections. They also had low evidence for the use in adults and children with pouchitis. They actually recommended against the use in um, children with acute infectious gastroenteritis, but the best recommendation that they had was for the prevention of um, necrotizing 
enterocolitis, which is like where part of the um, digestive system kind of starts to die in preterm uh, low birth weight infants. And the strain they used was Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. Based on even the American Gastroenterology Association, what that tells us is that we don't have great recommendations. And another thing that's important about this is that these probiotics are going to have a transient effects, effect on the gut. This is another thing that we know. So another thing that I was looking at was um, there's some data for probiotics in children with autism to support some of the um, <clears throat> symptoms of autism. And the, it may have a slight benefit, but it's transient. So if you are going to supplement or give your children these probiotics, then you need to ensure that you're supporting a healthy gut after, because if not, then they're going to only have a very transient effect and they're not going to take up resonance in the gut. The other thing I think that we often think about what probiotics for is after you take a course of antibiotics. So our next episode, we're going to be talking a lot about antibiotics. We'll have an antibiotic um, stewardship pharmacist on. Um, but I wanted to briefly introduce the concept of antibiotics and gut health and what to do after you take a course, um, because people are always asking, you know, should I take a probiotic or not? And actually, the data may surprise you. So after you take a course of antibiotics, most species of your gut flora will recover within four weeks. So if you are a normal, healthy person with your tonsils and your spleen, which is what modulates a large portion of your immune system, your gut will recover within four weeks. But some species will be wiped out for two to four years and some will never recover. And this is even after just a short course of antibiotics. So it doesn't have to be a very long, you know, you're on it chronically, you're on it for acne. No, you can wipe out a course with a, or a species with a short course, especially if you're taking a more broad spectrum antibiotic, which we'll talk about next. more next week as well. But the so when you're looking at should I use a probiotic after, there's actually a study in Cell, which is one of the top journals, um, that said that probiotic supplementation after short course antibiotic use may actually slow recovery of the gut. So it actually may slow um, how quickly our gut lining is repaired and the mucus lining is repaired. And then that leads to a slower Rediversification of the gut. And so they say in like a general basis to not use probiotics after. That's insane because most people would recommend, like I know the pharmacist that I work with, we have Florigen. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a knock at Florigen. I think they're like a pretty solid company. Um, but he always recommends that for people who come in like and get clindamycin or something that is pretty harsh on your stomach. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's pretty crazy. So they recommend what? Uh, diet yes. first? So first is diet, whole nutritious foods, always. And then also reducing the bad things in your gut that promote um, dysbiosis. So that would be always sugar. And then high fatty foods, especially foods that are high in saturated fat. And then um, the other one, which I love, back to Dr. Zach Bush again, um, is to get out in nature. So he says to, after you take a short a course of antibiotics, try to get in five different ecosystems. 
when you are done because each ecosystem will reintroduce different bacteria into your gut. And I don't know if I've said that before on this podcast. I always feel like a hippie when I say that, but I think, think it's cool. The more and more I learn about <laughs> health and nutrition, the more and more I think that people think I'm a hippie. I'm, so. Yeah. I actually um, told my brother that I was using like a natural soap the other day, and he said I was turning into a hippie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, have, I started a compost pile, Ooh. and yeah, my girlfriend thinks that I'm crazy. Saving the world. Exactly. But getting out into five different ecosystems. So example would be um, in the beach, the mountains, the forest, the rainforest. Obviously, not everyone can easily get to a rainforest, but just even going to different parks all of those, so when, like we talked about earlier, with each vegetable bringing a different um, different fiber and supporting your microbiome in a different way, each ex, um, exposure to nature will do the same thing. So what I'm hearing is after a course of antibiotics, it's time for a vacation. 100%. All right. 100%. I think I might see if I can get a prescription. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about that as well, um, after when you're on vacation – you're oftentimes slowing down, reducing stress, yeah. reconnecting with your loved ones, and that also supports your your gut. And that was a big thing. Stress that I've read promotes um, like a dysbiosis in your gut. Mm-hmm. So anything that you do that helps you reduce your stress, um, you want to do that at least once a week, I'd say. Um, you could do like meditation or you can do... Anything. Walks. Yep. Relax with your family. Get away from everything. I don't know. Go get a haircut. Whatever it is that like helps you kind of de-stress or what's the other word? Not de-stress. Relax. No. There's another word. Unwind. Oh, unwind. (laughs) Yeah. Unwind. That's what I was looking for. And well, that all goes back to to because of cortisol release when we're stressed, and then that kind of goes back to the article that you were looking at with the athletes because of the high intensity Mm -hmm. interval training anything that really promotes a lot of cortisol release can cause damage to our gut as well yeah and this is going back to um exercise and this is something that anthony told me he was listening to a podcast i can't remember exactly who it was so i'm not going to throw a name out because i don't want to be wrong (laughs) but they studied three different groups of people so there were sedentary people uh, people who exercised 30 to 60 minutes and then people who exercised for greater than 60 minutes up to... A day? Two or three hours, yeah. Per day. Per day. Two to three hours per day? What's time for that? Some people do that. Bodybuilders, uh, elite Olympic athletes. Okay. But, so the sedentary people were twice as likely as the people who exercised for 30 to 60 minutes a day to get sick. And the people who exercised <laughs> up to two hours were... Twice as likely as the sedentary people wow. to get sick. So four times as likely as the people who exercise moderately to get sick. Wow. So that just kind of goes back to like the immune system, the cortisol stress. And um, sometimes it is like too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Yes. Another thing um, that I've been learning about lately, too, is how to when you should exercise for your cycle if you're a woman. Um, and it's not always good to do high-intensity activity based on where you are in your cycle. Um, so thinking about that as well, so exercise for men and exercise for women is not created equal. Um, so you need to really make sure that you are listening to your body and figuring out when you should do different types of activity. And if you're feeling like 
you know, you should have a more relaxed day, just go for a walk. That doesn't mean that you need to be sedentary, but just don't do a cardio boot camp workout. Yeah. And the I'm glad you brought up the just like simply walking thing. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and this lady that he had on was like, I don't have time to exercise. And he went into like crazy oh, mode. Don't tell him that. And he was like, he was like, do you have time to walk to the fridge? And she was like, well, yeah. And he was like, well, then you have time and energy to exercise. You don't have to go do a 45-minute workout every single time you work no. out. You could do a 10-minute walk after your lunch break or before your lunch break or anything like that. Um, just like a little bit every single day is way better than a lot All in one very day. infrequently. Yep. All right, so let's wrap up with postbiotics. So prebiotics plus probiotics equals postbiotics. So what are they? They basically are the gift that you get from eating lots of healthy foods. So it's the gift your your gut gives you. And postbiotics promote the production of short-chain fatty acids, most commonly butyrate, acetate, and propionate. So these are produced when your gut ferments the fiber that you eat in your colon, and they actually then acidify the colon, which when you have a more acidic environment in your colon, because they're a short-chain fatty acid, obviously, so acid acidifies the colon, and then that suppresses inflammatory bacteria and promotes the production of healing bacteria. And it's cyclical, so when you have more healthy bacteria and more short-chain fatty acids, it, per- it leads to the production of more you can actually get more out of the same amount of fiber because those healthy bacteria are creating the short-chain fatty acids more efficiently. So they help to heal your gut, and then they help with that differentiation we talked about earlier between the good guys and the bad guys in your gut. What that means is if you are currently doing a low-fiber diet, you should not jump right in and just go to a ton of fiber because thinking about it like if you are a completely sedentary person, can you go then and either run a marathon or bench press 300 pounds? No, you're going to get injured. The same thing's going to happen to your gut. You need to go low and slow and slowly work your way up. And if you start to experience any sort of gut discomfort, you need to just you know, figure out what that food was that caused it and slowly reintroduce it back into your diet. Um, Because if you're just eating a lot of fiber all at once, it's not going to be healing and it's not going to promote health. And you're going to have a really, really bad guess. Yes, you're going to have really bad guess and then you're not going to want to do it anymore. Exactly. And then don't um, short chain fatty acids help with uh, those tight junctions yep. that we talked about? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I just so, wanted to be sure. So the if you do have damage to your gut lining and cause um, or leaky gut, then they can promote the re-tightening of the tight junctions, basically. All right. So I guess we'll just wrap up. Yeah. And if you guys, I would like to, for the final time in this episode, promote our Instagram page. So in our Facebook, it's just Health Formation. Go check us out. And if you love us and you want to give us a five-star review or recommend us to your friends, we would appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Have, Have a happy and healthy day. See you guys next time.